Hey everyone, this is Heather, and you're listening to Simply Healed with Heather Leonard. Today's episode is called A Trick to Get Better Outcomes. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I like getting the outcomes that I want. So here we go, guys. Thanks for joining today. So this topic I like because I'm constantly hearing from people. I have a desire and it's not happening and I'm frustrated and I get it. I mean, we usually, once we set our sights on something, a lot of us are pretty stubborn and hard nosed to like get that end goal, right? So whether we're talking about, um, in healthcare, like once you decided you're going to conquer and defeat some, you know, disease process, or if it's like, you know, somebody's fighting for their life or if it's like, even a new job, a new relationship, something like that, that you're just like so set on the outcome, then it can be so frustrating when you feel like you're pedaling in place. And I feel like the answer is simpler than we give it credit like for. Okay, so here's what I think, guys. I feel like empathy is so important, first and foremost. So by putting yourself in someone else's shoes, you energetically shift, right? So let me just say this. So I was watching something unfold recently where these two families were really like at each other. And it was interesting because I kind of felt like internally siding with this one side without even truly knowing the whole picture. It just kind of felt like they were right. The other people were were off and just not being, you know, kind and understanding. And and then sometimes when you get the whole picture and it's laid out in front of you, you can feel really stupid when you think, wow, I had made these prejudgments without realizing it. I had determined who I thought was right, who I thought was in the wrong. I had made all these determinations. And I think In this particular situation, both sides were doing just that and digging their heels in and feeling very justified. And in fairness, they both were right, but they were both right because they were looking through their own lens. They weren't looking through the other person's lens. So I have, this is almost like a two part. I've never done this before, but this is kind of like a two part podcast because I am going to do my next one sort of to piggyback on this one. Anyway, I've got so much to just say on it that I feel like it's going to be a two-parter. So (laughs) hopefully that's okay and works for all you guys. But um, so basically what I would just start with saying, make sure that you've already considered how the other person's feeling. And that seems so basic. I know that sounds like such an obvious thing, you know, do unto others as you'd want them to do unto you. You know, that kind of concept makes sense to everybody. But how often do you actually, when you're thinking you're right, turn it around? I mean, I've gone to the extreme here, guys. I do this while I'm driving now because I told you I get that little road rage feeling inside sometimes because I can't stand it when people aren't, you know, obeying the signs. So it irks me. I mean, and most things don't bother me. I mean, spe- like I clearly will go over the speed limit, but yet I get very bothered by people who are choosing to go under it, right? So lately I put this at play a little bit in every circumstance. Every time I feel that little internal angst, like that feeling of like, ugh, this is irritating, I immediately flip it around. Because you know what? When I think about driving, it's such a great example here. My husband at the end of his 
like career, I guess I should say, not the end of his life, but like as he was deteriorating, in large part, he had to sort of decide to work from home, not go to the office, all these things as his vision was failing. And you don't know that overnight. You know, he had passed vision tests, all these things. But then one day he found himself coming home from work late at night, unfamiliar roads, can't read the street signs, you know, having a struggle to like, gosh, if something came out of nowhere, I don't know if my reaction is this quick. Like there was this awareness that came over him. And obviously having two young children at home and a wife who desperately wanted to see him walk back through that door again, he chose to drive slower that night and to even pull over on the side of the road at one point and call me and say, I don't know if I'm having a seizure or like what's going on, but I don't feel right. Like my reaction time seems off. All these things were going on inside him and that awareness was just starting to happen. He had no reason to not be able to drive. He just was like, I don't know what's going on. I just don't feel quick. I don't feel responsive. I like something's off. My vision's not perfect. Like it seems weird. Um, And so... Yeah, we had to come to terms with the fact that he had to make that really impossible decision, all the while hoping in our hearts that that would change and that later he'd be once again driving and things would be good. But um, I have compassion now when I can literally just stop myself in that moment of wanting to be really frustrated and remember that person in front of me could be going through that very same hard moment in time of realizing, whoa, it's been a while since I've been behind the wheel at night. Oh, my dog's joining us. <laughs> uh, you know, that awareness that like washes over you in an instant of, oh my goodness, my whole life is about to be different. So whether it's an elderly person, um, you know, someone with veteran plates, it doesn't even matter to me. I just try to think this could be their worst day. This could be that moment of realization, like I should not be behind the wheel right now. I can't believe this. I might never do this again. You know, as much as we're like, get off the road, you know, in your mind and you're thinking, not saying it, hopefully not saying it, but like thinking, oh my gosh, if you're not, you know, if you have nowhere to be, then just pull over and let me by kind of thing. Like it's like, you know, you're kind of feeling that way inside, especially if you have somewhere to be and you're pressed for time and you, your anxiety could be way up through the roof, you know, way beyond where it probably should be over the matter. But um, if you can just pause and go, you know what, even still as in a hurry as I am, as important that thing I'm going to do is, I still can't forget that in front of me right now could be somebody having their very worst day, their very last time behind the wheel. You know, maybe they didn't realize that it was going to be that difficult when they got out there that day. And now they're actually going slow to keep you and your kids safe in your car. You know what I mean? It just changes everything. And guess what? Then like this outcome that you're trying to have, like I'm trying to get there on time. I need to get there. I need to cut five minutes off my trip to make sure my kids are there on time and I'm flying and I'm going along. And then if you're able to find this empathy and you're able to think like, wow, they could be going through a really, you know, difficult moment. All of the sudden, you know, that outcome that I needed to have, it almost like just dissipates because like how important is it to get my kids to a basketball practice on time when in front of me is somebody whose whole life might just be unraveling right right in front of me. And here I am getting frustrated with them because I'm not going to be there perfectly on time. You know, those are the things where you just have to really just kind of think to yourself, 
Everybody you encounter in a day could very well be at their worst in that moment. And it's easy to mentally think you know that already. I know there's people listening to this right now. They're like, oh, I don't know if this episode's for me. I'm not going to get anything out of it. I'm telling you right now, how many times a day have you done this? Because I do this practice now multiple times a day with almost every interaction I have with people. Because in communicating with people, have you guys ever noticed this, that we are now the generation that's so used to like checking our phone and all that stuff, that often when we're having a face-to-face conversation, it's rare for people to make eye contact, to put down their device, to fully and wholly listen to an entire comment without already thinking about what they're going to say next, without like having your mind a little bit split on thinking, oh, what do I have to do next or whatever it is. There's always something I feel like where these connections don't feel as genuine as I feel like they used to to me, you know? And so when somebody really connects with you, takes the time to take the moment to stop, have a true conversation, listen to the words that you just said, and then respond back to those words before just filling in with their own. It's just a connection that is often not made. And so if you can find a way to do that for others, you're going to be like gold in their life because people need that connection and it's missing. And it's so often I think that Either we're in a hurry or we're distracted or, you know, too much multitasking, too much screen time, all this stuff that just pulls us away from just being so grounded in that moment and present for someone else. And and it's not like a lot of people are like, no, 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 I, I unplug, I do that, I listen, I whatever. But your mind is a funny thing because sometimes even though you're there and present in your body doesn't mean your mind is. And I can't tell you how many times recently somebody's asked me a question and then I've noticed that they're not really caring about my response. They've either already moved on to something else visually, like they're already looking, (laughs) it's just so weird. It's so disconnected feeling. And so half the time, I don't even feel like responding. When my kids do it to me, I quite literally, actually my husband and I both used to do this to them all the time and it drove them crazy. But they would say, um, so if they sort of tuned out or whatever, we would just ramble with the funniest stuff. We'd be like, oh yeah, hamburgers by the pigs. I know, right? Isn't that so crazy? I saw a rainbow over the top of this manure pile. And then there was like three chicken wings by five French fries. And you wouldn't even believe what I smelled. And we would just say this like hilarious, just like what? gibberish. It had to make no sense. And then we'd be like, right guys? And they'd be like, yeah, I know, right? And then we we would sometimes even like record one another and then we'd play it back and they'd be like, oh, that's embarrassing because they didn't even know they were doing it. They weren't listening. They were checked out. They were listening to the TV in the other room or they were mentally thinking about something else or, you know, they were just kind of checked out. And it was so often that we were able to smuggle in these funny little conversations with them and they had no awareness That like, I mean, it became comical for us, but it almost isn't comical because when you really step back and think about it, that shouldn't be right. And so our kids don't do that anymore, by the way. We did retrain them and made them very aware. Sometimes I still have to like, hey, you're not listening. You know, you're just like, hello. (laughs) You know, I know you're saying yes, but let me turn that off in the background. I need your full focus. <laughs> and I think some of that's just the age for my kids. But, you know, I definitely will block out the noise from time to time. But I think we all need to do a, a better job of just 
staying present, staying real aware of what someone's saying to you. Because if somebody's going to take the time to spill their heart out or to tell you something, then they value you and they value your opinion and they value like, you know, they don't want your half butted like, you know, half in, half out, sort of listening, kind of responding, responding with just generic things, you know, that just doesn't feel good. And so I will say to all of you who are, you know, fighting the like, oh, I want this person to want me back kind of thing, because I hear that a bunch. I mean, of course, I'm in the I'm in the grief space, but that means I'm in this sort of like new beginning space with a lot of clients because they're moving into feeling like they could have a new relationship but aren't sure how to navigate that yet. So we talk relationships a lot. And so, you know, when we're talking about (laughs) connection and like, well, I finally found somebody that feels like they could be my match, but I'm not sure they're feeling me back. Well, are you doing these things? Are you a worthy partner? Are you even like somebody who's like really shown up for them. I mean, certainly I feel like men quite often in society, their feelings are just kind of brushed over, which is sad to me. I mean, women are all about feelings. That's like all we talk about. And so I think there's this sort of assumption that men don't have feelings or want to discuss them. (laughs) I don't know. But for women out there, if you can find a way to like show up and actually let a man know that you're listening and hearing them and you're you know, available for that and that you care and that, you know, that's going to make you special. (laughs) That's going to be something that they've probably not encountered a lot in their life, you know, and, and for men, I mean, I feel like if you're trying to connect with a woman, you need to be able to be in touch with a lot of those sort of feeling things because, you know, that's where we're at. We want somebody to truly hear us and see us and, you know, not just yep, yep, yep us, <laughs> you know, it just doesn't feel good. It feels brushed off and it feels like you're not a priority for the person. So, you know, be real aware of that because you're communicating without communicating, you know, there is verbal communication and there's all those other things in between. So where your eye contact lands, you know, even like what you say in response, like all of these things, they stack up to whether or not like you are into this. And so if somebody's trying to feel like they're special and don't we want everybody we have interactions with to feel like we think they're special? Of course. So like we have to actually hear them out. Um, I know that in my family, you guys can tell just by listening to me on this uh, podcast, I talk fast. I talk a lot and I talk fast. I have no problem filling in these 45 minutes straight of just me talking without a guest on and I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm comfortable in my skin around speaking at length because I come from a French family where they just almost like interrupting is like part of the communication. It's not that I'm not listening. I'm engaged because I'm responding while you're talking means I'm into this conversation. I'm a part of it. And that's not how many people function. So we have to look culturally as well. For my husband, their family's primarily Portuguese. And he said sometimes he just felt like it was me interrupting. And I had to realize that our communication styles were different. I thought by me speaking while he was speaking and like in 
like agreeance of what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, I, right. Yeah, no, I've seen that. That that's interrupting to him. It's like, wait a minute, you're you're already speaking, and I'm still not done. You know what I mean? Like he would never say that to me. He was too sweet. But um, you know, I could feel it. Like for him, he was almost like, whoa, <laughs> you know. And especially if we got into like any kind of disagreement, then it really seemed pronounced to him because he felt like he couldn't fully express the thought because I was already there at thinking I could see where he was going with it and starting to respond. And that just doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't. Um, you know, it can definitely make somebody feel not heard, quite contrary to what you feel like you're giving them, if it's just different from how they speak. So observing how other people speak and how, you know, do they make eye contact with you when you're talking and wait until you're completely finished before they come into play with like, saying something back or are they offering just support or are they you know asking questions or do they go into their totally different topic and like what are they communicating like can help you to really learn what they might need from you back right the other thing i've noticed a lot is when people within my community start to get back into a new relationship after the loss of a spouse they are so set in the way of the way they communicated with their person that now they're in an entirely new relationship and they're carrying with them that form of communication into the next relationship, which doesn't always work. And so this is why I'm saying really see the person you're talking to because it's all the same. Whether I'm first talking to my spouse and then I'm talking to my kids and then I'm talking to the neighbor, those three conversations should all be handled very differently, right? Because you should be, I shouldn't say totally differently. I want to make sure I say this clearly because I feel like in one sense, they should all be dealt with the same because you need to be there and present and completely into what that person's saying. But I'm also suggesting the empathy piece of, knowing what the person you're talking to needs, knowing their situation, trying to understand where they're coming from. Because some people do need just an ear. Other people do need advice. Other people need guidance if we're talking about like the youth of our, you know, oh gosh, you know, so there is different needs there. And you do want to meet the needs of, you know, who you're conversing with. But boy, I think just starting off with, fully being present that has to happen across the board and then you need to kind of cater to what the person needs and you only know that if you're communicating it right so you know when I say though putting yourself in someone else's shoes you energetically shift I don't know if you caught that I said that early on um I think the energetic shift happens because if somebody is encountering another person who's hanging on their every word that conversation is, it's taken an entirely different path. It's not any longer, you know, casual almost. It's almost like a form of intimacy, I feel like. When you really connect with somebody who's speaking and you are so present in that and really hearing what they're saying, that's how I've formed a lot of newer friendships lately. Um, things that before would have been very casual, and I wouldn't have really considered them friends right off, just more acquaintances. I'm now considering friends. And the reason it's moved like that for me is because when I'm having these new interactions with people, 
I've found myself revealing more of myself in early conversations than I ever have before in my life. And why that is is because I'm becoming more engaged in what they're saying. And so without even trying, the conversation's already deeper. We're already talking about things that are not just surface level. I'm hearing about their children. I'm knowing about their struggles. I'm acknowledging it. I'm giving them something that they need in the way of this conversation. And then because of that connection we've already formed, I feel safe then revealing what's going on in my world so much easier. It's bizarre, but if you try this and it's something you have to almost actively practice, but it it really does make these bonds and relationships you make in life a lot deeper. And that's a really nice feeling. So I want to get more into how to use this and other things. We kind of ended up down the relationship tunnel a little bit. So when we get back, I want to talk about how you can use this medically, how you can use this in overcoming other hurdles in your life. Uh, So don't go anywhere, guys. So for those of you who have been teetering on whether or not to join my grief program, now is the time to act. I might be changing things up pretty soon. So um, for that, I just want to remind you, Heather at canyoucurecancer.com. Just drop me a message letting me know you want to know more about my loss just sucks grief doesn't have to program. It is currently still going on. It will not be the same forever. There will be changes in how and who I am um, offering this to going forward. So I just wanted to make sure that anybody that was on the fence knew it and, um, you know, took the steps that they wanted to take to become a part of it before it changes. So again, it is a group that helps people who are going through big grief, usually loss of spouse or um, life partner or um, fiancés. I have some people who it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, but love people who, uh, um, you know, it's a hard, big loss and you need more. And if you feel like that could be speaking to you, then once again, it's Heather at canyoucurecancer.com and just shoot me a message letting me know you want more details on my program and I'll make sure it's in your hands. All right, guys, back to the show. So back to the trick to get the better outcomes. And I'm telling you, it's empathy. And I swear empathy will carry you so far in life. (laughs) It's a lost art. (laughs) It truly is. It's like one of those things that like when you encounter it now, you feel connected to somebody because not many people are empathetic. And I feel like I get a lot of sympathetic dumps on me. (laughs) I don't want to put it that way, but it's kind of true. People who hear my story of losing my husband at a young age to cancer and and they, it's it's not empathizing with me, but it really is like feeling bad for me. That's just sympathy, guys. I feel like the difference, at least personally for me, of sympathy and empathy is with empathy, you can tell when somebody hears your story, it's the I can't imagine response. Then you know they're empathizing, right? Because their mind's already switched to like, oh my goodness, like what would that be like? They've already tried to walk that mile in my shoes mentally and they can't even get there. They see me. They they can like, you know what I'm saying? Like then you know somebody's really hearing what you just said, the gravity of it. Like I I tend to sometimes when I I want people to know my situation but I'm not in the mood to go that deep or whatever, I will say it and kind of move on in conversation 
And I don't always give people a moment to respond to what the heaviness of what I just said. A true person who is empathetic, even though I've carried on the conversation, I will hear them trilling after that with the, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like they couldn't even allow me to keep going forward without saying something back to what I just said. That feels to me like somebody who just, they got caught up in that empathy. They heard what I said the weight of what I said. And even though I brushed it o- over it and continued on with the conversation, um, they're still stuck on what I just said. Like, oh my goodness, I can't, I'm so sorry. And th- like, I'm still talking and they're kind of mumbling that under their breath because they're still there. They haven't caught up to where I've, you know, because as I said, I talk fast, I've moved on. But, um, you know, I know, like I said, it's kind of purposeful that I do that. But it is wonderful when somebody still takes that extra second to be, you can tell they heard the words. There's other people when I do that, don't blink an eye. And it's, sometimes I'm even to the point where I'm like, did they already know? But they didn't. They didn't know, but they also didn't take the time to really, really hear what I just said. You know, and most people, if you're really empathetic, can recognize when somebody quickly moves over something that hurts a lot to talk about because they're not really ready to go that deep with you, but they want you to know something. Do you know what I mean? Like, I certainly, I know that it's on me that sometimes I don't slow down to allow for that because like I said before, that's where the true connection happens, right? Give somebody a moment to like take in what you said, allow them the moment of time to have that empathy for you because sometimes if you're just breezing over it, it's kind of like lost, you know, they're still trying to keep up with where you're going. Um, but you know, like I said, I do do that purposefully sometimes because there are times where it's appropriate and times when it's not. And, um, there are like, sometimes if there's four or five people in a conversation, I know I'm not going to get that deep into it, but, um, if it has to be said, cause it's relevant to what we're talking about and they need to know, you know, well, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing or whatever. I don't know. There are just times, <laughs> I just say. But um, you can always tell the people who were really connected to that conversation and interested, invested in what you're saying. So be aware that you, your responses, your words, your energy, your eye contact, all that stuff is communicating connection to somebody or lack thereof. So whether you think you are or you think you're not, both things are communicating something, right? (laughs) So it's like when somebody doesn't say any answer at all, sometimes there's still an answer in that. It's like that. Um, So when I think though about how this all plays into, let's go with the medical thing for a second, because I know I spent a lot of time so desiring the outcome of just cancer-free, come on, cancer-free. Hooey, so... (laughs) I remember, I mean, I just, it was like a prayer that was so deep. I've never said a prayer that I just wanted that outcome so badly. Like, have you ever had those kind of prayers? Whether it be for, like I said before, a job you so desperately want or, you know, a person that you think you so desire or a, an outcome or a diagnosis you so badly want to go in your favor. You know, you have to really stop for a minute Let me just say this, in the next episode, what I'm going to discuss about is when you're wanting something and you're asking for it to be sure it's what you even want, but, um, so I'm just giving a little teaser for the next episode, but, um, I'll get into that on the next one. But for this, I just want to say, 
I thought the act of wanting and that desperate feeling of pleading with God and all of that would lead to the outcome. And so many people that I talk to, it's like they feel let down because they begged and they pleaded and they, you know, it's like I prayed so much harder than this person who never goes to church and they never, you know, I I don't get it. Why are they ringing that cancer-free bell and yet we're going in the decline Um, I will say this, I am at a place in my life now, way different than, you know, two and a half years ago or so, where I was doing all the begging, um, bargaining and all that. That's part of the grief process. You know, you kind of go through it, but, um, I'm at the point now where I'm aware that the outcome that I am trying to force and trying to see to completion and desperately like trying to like oh man I mean when I tell you guys the things that I threw at cancer it was like all right you're gonna tell me you're not gonna make this happen for me I'm gonna show you all the maze in which I'm gonna force this outcome like I thought if you just willed it enough you didn't give up because I mean, I think sometimes in childhood, aren't we taught that, right? If you have an outcome, there's something you want. If you want that job, you just work hard. You don't give up. You keep going. And when everybody else stops, you keep going. And that's going to get you to that thing. You know, it's when everybody else finally peters out. You're still the one standing, still pushing, still persevering, still trying. You know, you think it's effort that equals outcome. And I'm here to say it's not. That's that's a realization I think a lot of you might not have ever had is that getting that desired thing is the only way you feel as though it's been answered, it's happened, it's, you know, okay, box checked. (laughs) You know, I mean, I had such a clearer picture of what it had to be, the outcome I wanted that had to be this way. Because, you know, I was justified in my own mind that if this didn't work out, if this thing kept coming at us, our family can't be better right? It was already what I would have considered the perfect relationship, what I'd always desired. I had achieved that. We had respect for each other and love and passion and this and that. It it was already good. Don't mess with what's not broken, right? I mean, it was good. Why would God try to intervene in there and have this happen? Well, wow. That's like one. I mean, of course, I believe in an all-powerful God, but do I believe in a God who's just messing with us, making bad things happen from day to day to see how we rise above? I don't think so. So I had to get to a point of realizing that just because I desired it and I was so sure life with this person in it is going to be better than life without this person in it, I'm not all knowing. (laughs) There's only one person I trust to be all knowing. And so if I have true faith, I have to actually just kind of step back and go, all right, I don't have to agree or see it or be able to understand it at this point in this time, but I am going to say that my faith will carry me to believe that you do know better. And the only way that for me, I was able to get to that much faith, because some people are like, whoa, (laughs) like that's just, I, I had strong faith until this happened and it stripped it away from me. Well, why for me did I draw closer? It's because I... If I believe that there is a God that has my best interest at heart, and I know I've said this before, I'm not going to say the same thing I always say, I swear. But if I'm really looking at it through the lens of I've placed all my faith um, in somebody with all that power and all that ability to sort of oversee and 
you know, know better than I, then it's very hypocritical for me when it comes to the point of the challenges and the things I don't like to then back up and say, well, whoa, 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 I was with you until things started to look hairy, like things got dicey in my life. And instead of like continuing to say, I'm faithful, I'm trusting, I, I know this is for the best. Now I'm going to say, but I know better than this because there's not a world in which it's better off without him than with him. I can't say that. I, those are two totally opposing viewpoints. And so when I was standing at that sort of break in the road, both my husband and I, because he was still here and I was begging God for the answer. We were holding hands in prayer. We were doing it all. We at one point shifted. And anybody who spoke to my husband in the end that listens to this podcast knows this. He would consistently say, it's whatever's meant to be. It's, you know, in God's hands now. Because we knew all our efforts had been made to have the outcome we desired. We pushed and did the thing, you know, like we were taught from childhood to go and push and persevere and keep going to get that outcome. When everybody else stops, you keep pushing. We had done that. So I can guarantee you that it does not always lead to the outcome you want. Pushing and trying to steer things does not. But what has 100% of the time never let me down is that 100% of the time when I have released it over, given it to God and said, I don't have to get it, but I know you see something I don't. Always hindsight has shown me an outcome that I favor over what I had before. So I know what many of you are thinking because you might be thinking, that's crap. My life was better when my dad was still alive. My life was better when this, when that. I'm, it's in hindsight now, 12 years, and I'm still here. Like, I hear all of those arguments. It is valid, and you are right to feel the way you feel. I understand why you even feel how you feel. I mean, we were talking empathy here. I've put myself in your shoes. I can't imagine. Some of these stories I hear, I cannot imagine. But what I can imagine, because I've heard all of these big, crazy stories, is that it is possible that a worse outcome was in the path I was in before that I couldn't see and I can't know. But God knew that if we continued the way we were moving, maybe it's my whole salvation. Maybe it, you know what I mean? Let's talk eternity here. Maybe I would have done something that I couldn't have come back from. Maybe, or something would have happened to us where like the whole family would have been affected and lost our lives. Or maybe we would have accidentally not only like lost our own lives, but accidentally hit another family moving towards us because we glanced down for a minute for something we dropped on the floor and we caused an accident that took another family out. Like I have seen so much tragedy within this grief group that I do that I know things could have been even worse. So the only thing I can have faith in, the only thing I can trust, is that this still is better than some other way I was headed. And and I hate that. I wish that I could have the same all-knowing vision that God can see all of this. so that I, Because then I would know, yeah, I would have chosen this too, which is crazy. Sounds nuts. On what universe would I ever choose to not have the love of my life still here? Well, maybe one in which it still saved seven other people or in which we weren't here at this wrong place, this wrong time. And then something so much worse came to pass, you know, or like even something as minor as like the way it all unrolled, like 
you know, what if we had chosen this treatment versus this treatment? Would things be different? There's a lot of people on the fence of like, you know, regret and I should have tried this or I should have tried that. Well, let me tell you this. Maybe had you chose the other thing, the outcome would have been even more prolonged, like agony and stuff that your person had to go through before then having the same final outcome. Do you know what I mean? So don't beat yourself up. It's all unfolding as it's meant to unfold. And to try to just force that wheel to do what you want it to doesn't work. That's not how we get the outcomes. The true way to get the outcome you want is to turn it over and trust because that's when I always see the better things unfolding for me. Not when I'm the one who's conducting it all and making it go my way, but when I've let it go. You know, like right now, even to this day, I I battle sometimes with my work stuff. And should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? And I then release it. And every time I've released it, I get something in my inbox or I get a post or I get something that somebody's saying, thank God for this group because without it, I don't know if I'd be here. This group has helped me enormously. Nothing has helped me but this group. I feel seen and heard here. Thank you for what you're doing. And that's it. It's like game over. I knew that even though maybe not even financially is it to my best interest right now, I don't. what do I value more? Someone, a human life or money in my pocket? So I know, I get the reassurance that I need in that moment to know I'm on the right path. Just keep doing, right? So that is hard because when there's the temptation and lure of like, oh, but things, you could make so much more money over here doing this. Like I know if I was selling a program that made people money, I could make hand over fist tomorrow because I know how to do groups online. I know how to sell things. But what I'm not trying to do is sell things right now. Like that part of my life is sort of a closed chapter for me. I'm trying to help people with what I do. And so for me, the value comes from hearing back from people about how much it's changed their lives, how good they're doing now. That stuff is fuel for my soul. And so, you know, again, if I was to just look at my business as a, is it successful or not? Because I asked for, you know, to be able to be successful in business. Well, guess what? You could financially say, heck no, she's not that, you know, she's not that successful. And then you could look at the other end and go, oh my gosh, she's the most successful person I've seen, you know, with a company that's just a startup really. Like, and I mean, well, not really startup anymore, but you know, like to just be already so hugely successful. And, and it's because what is your end goal? (laughs) You know? And so if you're trying to fight to get that job and it's like, why is everybody else keep getting that promotion and not me? If that's kind of your path you're on and you're like, oh, I just want to feel rewarded for all of the good I want to do. Just try to really define what is the reward you're looking for? Is it only financial? What really feeds your soul and fuels you? Like, is it just about dollars in your pocket at the end of the day would that make you happy and a lot of people are going to jump to you like heck yes it would because then I could relax I could be more present for my kids I could I've been there I have thought those things too and I know it's not true I know that I feel internally more free and happy and solid in what I'm doing when I get the feedback from people I affect And that's why I was drawn to physical therapy all the years ago when I chose that as a profession, because I like helping people and I like that feeling of changing somebody's whole path. That 
rewards me beyond paychecks, guys. So I hope you have that too. I hope you found some type of, you know, career or life ambition and goals and things that just include bettering someone else's experience here. Because if you've never had that, let me just say drugs are nothing in comparison to the addiction you will feel to helping other people once you've felt that on your soul because it's so amazing. You know, with every person I have helped, I feel this, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy, but almost satisfaction in knowing my husband's life wasn't for nothing. You know, like him passing, look what it did. Look how many lives that have been saved and helped and improved. And so, oh, yes, I will always hate saying that God was right in this situation because I'd so wanted to be right and I so wanted to know that this world could only be better with my husband in it because it doesn't make sense the other way around. But <laughs> there's hope, guys. There's hope in the in my story because it can just show that sometimes even the worst thing happening to you can be a blessing in other ways. It's just really tunnel vision and hard to see it when it's cancer, when it's death, when it's loss of a job, when it's, you know, a breakup, when it's all these bad things. Oh, we have to be able to like explain it away. Like this was, he messed up. He wasn't paying attention. God didn't notice that. He didn't hear my prayers, but it's not true. I know it's not true. I know that nobody wants to hear that when they can't make sense of it, but it's that's why it's called faith it's the trust in the unseen right so i can't stop this topic as i said i'm getting into it again in the next one guys so don't go anywhere um that one is i i don't know i like them both but i think that one's gonna be maybe even more um fun but either way i'm so appreciative for everybody who listened today have a great week guys